0: This is Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from NEETEC, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center.
1: Welcome to Transmission
0: Interrupted from NEETEC. Hello and welcome. My name is Jill Morgan. I'm an ICU nurse at
1: Emory University Hospital in Atlanta, and I'm joined today by... Trish Tennell coming to you from New York City Health and Hospitals Bellevue and this is our maiden voyage for transmission interrupted our new podcast by NeTech.
0: Yeah, and if you're not familiar with NeTech, our mission is to increase the capability of the United States public health and healthcare systems to safely and effectively manage individuals with suspected and confirmed special pathogens in cooperation with the CDC and funded by ASPR,
1: the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. So since this is a new series, we're new to you. So let me tell you a little bit about Jill and I. We've both been nurses for 25 years. We've done everything from Ebola to COVID-19, and we're here to bring you back to the basics. So we all know that SARS-CoV-2 is a hot topic. We've all heard about it, we've all read about it, and we've lived it. So in this debut series, we're gonna bring you back to the basics, back to the basics of viruses, mutations, and variants. Oh, my. (laughs) Before we start down that yellow
0: brick road, we want to really think about what a virus is. So a virus is a small packet of genetic blueprints. Think about it sort of like computer code wrapped in a protein shell
1: called a capsid and sometimes with a fat or lipid membrane on the outside. Yeah, you know, when we think about viruses, we think about them as active infections in our body. And since a virus is an active infection, we think about it being alive. It's alive! (laughs) This is a little bit controversial. You know, a virus doesn't move on its own. It can't breathe. It can't replicate on its own. It needs help. For the most part, it's just hanging out. It's alive. It's not alive. It's controversial. Yeah. So, Trish,
0: have you ever lost a coffee cup, like forgotten it next to your bedside table or a
1: cup of Kool-Aid your kid is left by the sofa? Well, Jill, you know, I live alone, so I probably have plenty of my house right now.
0: <laughs> so if those drinks contain sugar or milk or something that can serve as fuel, then after a few days lost in those crevices of our houses— they'll start to grow things, and you'll see sort of blue, green, gray, fuzzy blobs emerge on the top of that cup. And those are like colonies of bacteria and funguses and all sorts of stuff that can grow in that environment. So you see lots and lots and lots of copies of a pathogen or just a harmless bacteria that can grow in that environment. But if we looked at that under a microscope, which we
1: see lots and lots and lots of copies of a virus in there? No, you know what? You may see a virus, maybe just one virus, but you're never gonna see a clump because what we need to know is that a virus needs a host cell to replicate. There's no host cell in that cup. It needs a living thing. So that's one of the most important things that we need to understand, that a virus can be on a surface, but in order to replicate and live, it needs a host cell. You know, there's two families of viruses. The RNAs and the DNAs, they're both very specific. They both have their differences, but they have one thing in common. They like to replicate themselves. You know, if you were walking in the forest without shoes on and you stepped on a cold virus, do you think you'd get a cold? No, because that's not the specific cell it wants to replicate in. Do you remember back in high school biology and they gave us that picture that said, label all the parts of the cell? Ooh, the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. Yep, the powerhouse of the cell. RNA and DNA viruses are very picky where they want to live. You know, because viruses, again, are looking for a very specific cell to invade and replicate in.
0: Yeah, and viruses sort of attach to the outside of the cell they want in order to gain entry. So you can think about that in a couple different ways, right? For some people, it might work to think of it as the old Shell Silverstein book, The Missing Piece, right, where this virus is just rolling around until it finds the piece that completes it. You might think about it like a lock and a key where the virus is the lock, is the key, rather, and it fits into the lock of the cell, But basically what you have are these little spiky proteins that make like a docking port. And they're looking for the cell that matches it so that it can enter. So the virus just keeps moving around until it finds that. And once it gets inside the cell, that's when it starts doing this replication that Trish was talking about. Strictly speaking, there are like six stages of viral replication. And we're not going to get into all that today. We're just going to simplify it a bit. So the outside of these viruses only work on the certain locks that let them in. The virus gets into the cytoplasm, in the case of an RNA virus, and then it takes off its little coat and it gets to work. And all it's doing in there is writing out copy after copy after copy of itself. So you can think of it a little like a computer virus, right? If somebody writes out a computer virus code, it could sit on their desktop, it can sit anywhere, it could be on a piece of paper, and it's not going to hurt anything, right? But if they write a piece of viral code, like we hear about computer viruses, and it gets into your computer, it can infect it. It has to find a host it likes in order to do the work that it was written to do. So if these viruses happen to get into the cells, for instance, in the lining of our lungs, they copy, they copy, they copy, and then they just burst out. And that might mean that they spew into the things we exhale or sneeze or cough,
1: copies and copies and copies of that virus and the particles around us. And you know those particles, you know what they're doing, looking for a new host, another place for them to take off their coat and then just get to work, copying and copying and copying themselves. Remember, we talked earlier that there's two different kinds of virus, RNA and DNA viruses. Here's another difference. The DNA virus is smart. It has a proofreader. Okay, it doesn't like to change. It just likes to copy itself over and over and over. The RNA virus, mm, they like to take the shortcut. They don't have a proofreader. So when they copy themselves, they can make a little mistake every once in a while. And then these mistakes copy themselves over and over and over. But what's interesting is they're just not copying little things. They're copying a 30,000 character program. Or line. Now, I'm going to tell you, I got in trouble in school, Jill, huh. when I was a kid. I know you don't believe it, but I had to write, I will not throw an eraser at Kate. That had 32 characters. By the end, I had misspelled it several times. I had changed the message and I couldn't do that a hundred times. So imagine if you're copying over and over and over 30,000 characters, you're going to make that mistake over and over. It's kind of like the flu virus. You know how it changes just a little bit every year? That's because there's a little mistake. But a mistake for a virus could mean success for them. But we're going to talk about that later. And that's why when flu season starts, you may change the vaccine a little bit. You know, we all say this is a new flu vaccine. I know you had one last year, but you need to get this one this year because that's going to hit that strain of virus. This is also true with SARS-CoV-2. Just remember, SARS-CoV-2 is the virus, COVID is the disease. You know, we read about how that's changing right now, how it's a little bit different, how the symptoms are a little bit different, how people are catching it, but we're gonna talk more about that later. So remember, there's RNA viruses, there's DNA viruses. DNA viruses have the proofreader; the RNA doesn't. Mistakes in this 30,000 character sequencing is called a transcription error, or what is known as mutations. Yeah, that's right, Trish.
0: Every time a virus replicates, it has the opportunity to make these transcription errors. And that can look like a couple different things. It can be an error by omission, where it leaves out a piece of code. It can be an insertion of code that doesn't belong there. Or sometimes it just means it gets the code out of order. But every copy then contains those mutations or errors. So mutations are really common, especially in RNA viruses, and we start to notice them when they trend, right? I mean, everybody's talking about things trending these days. But when we're talking about viruses, we're talking about viruses that are successful can start a
1: trend. So who can see those trends? Our smart laboratorian friends. I think we've all been tested for COVID one time or another. But all this test tells us is whether we're positive or negative for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. These tests are really basic. They just tell you whether you have it or you don't have it. But our smart laboratorians are able to look at that 30,000 character sequence. They can see where that sequence has changed. They can even tell where it came from, where it started, or where it's moving to. This is called genomic sequencing. It's like the family tree of viruses. They're able to go back. They can see trends. They can see almost when it mutated or where it began to mutate. That's the origin of it. And they can find out where its friends have been. You know, Jill, I've been DNA tested. I know I mutated from Wales, the country. <laughs> so, well, not every lab can do genomic testing.
0: We know there are a lot of labs around the world who are, can and do this testing. And right now, there's a a lot of work being done to strengthen that capacity here in the U.S. And that means we have more people paying attention to what versions of the virus are out there causing disease in humans. As the versions of the virus trends, it does that because those versions must be more successful.
1: But what does success mean for a virus? Well, you know, Jill, success for me is a house in the Hamptons. But success for a virus means more copies of itself. It likes to make more copies per person. It likes more human hosts. It likes to create more symptoms so it can easily spread. Also, it likes to make itself almost invisible, where it's easier to hide and avoid detection by a host immune system. That's success for a virus.
0: That's right. And when viruses are successful, when some of those naturally occurring transcription errors occur those mutations can become variants. Variants are just versions of the virus that seem to be more successful than the original or the native version. And now we're getting variants on top of variants that are even more successful than the previous. So the virus creates mutations. As it copies those mutations, if they're successful, they can become variants.
1: I guess they're going viral, right? Just like this podcast. If a video, image, or story on social media goes viral, it spreads quickly and widely, right? More people see it, more people listen to it. When a virus goes viral, it also spreads quickly and widely. Yep, and that's worrisome. So to recap the
0: basics, viruses are these little packages of code wrapped in protein with sometimes a little fatty shell on the outside. Their viruses only reproduce when they're inside of their desired host cell. And they do that by writing out copy after copy of their long genetic code time and time again. When copy errors are made, which happens a lot, those are called mutations. Some mutations don't seem to matter much at all, but others might help a virus be more successful. And when we start to see a lot of that particular copy error repeated, it might be because it helps the virus copy faster, copy more, evade detection, invade a cell, and then it could last and become what we call a variant. And we can see those changes in the viral history if we look at the genetic sequence of the code. We can follow the mutations as they work their way around the world in this viral family tree. There's a lot to unpack about variants
1: and viral family trees. So we're going to pick that up with our next podcast. Well, Dorothy, I guess that brings us to the end of the yellow brick road for today, Well, thank you, Auntie M. There's no place like home. Join us next time when we talk about variants of interest, variants of concern, and variants of high consequence as we get back to the basics of viruses, mutations, and variants. Oh, my. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts on a wide range of topics from healthcare worker safety to personal protective equipment and even more about infectious diseases of all kinds.
0: Additionally, if you have any questions or comments for Trish or I, or ideas for future shows, please feel free to contact us at info And for more resources about today's topic or to find out more about NETEC, find us on the web at NETEC.org, N-E-T-E-C.org.
1: See you next time on Transmission Interrupted.
0: You've been listening to Transmission Interrupted, the podcast series from NEETEC, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. Learn more at NEETEC.org.